Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. This is the How to Trade It podcast. We talk about the real stories behind successful traders. You will learn the strategies that the best traders use in today's markets. And we get those experts to show us how to trade it. Hey everyone, this is Casey Stubbs, and I'm here today with Tom Sosnoff, the CEO of Tasty Trade. Tom, thanks for being on the show today. Sure, happy to be here. So, Tom, I'm really excited to have you. I think you've got a lot of great insight that you can share with our listeners. Our listeners are traders, people that are looking to have success in the markets. And so, can you share a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started in the financial trading world? I'm a dinosaur. So, I've been around for four decades now. So, it's been a long run. The reason I got started in the trading business is because when I graduated college, it was the only place I could get a job. It was my actually, I graduated college in 1979 and I thought I was going to work in the field of international relations and international politics. Although there was, it was the middle of a recession, there was no jobs and I got a job offer in the world of finance. I've stayed here ever since. Okay. Well, that to just to put it into perspective, I was born in 1976. So you definitely got some experience on me, which is good. You're a baby. Good. <laughs> yeah. So what was that first job of finance you got? I got a job with a company named Drexel Burnham that is no longer in existence today, but they were a big kind of boutique brokerage firm back in the uh, 80s. They blew up under Mike Milken and the whole, they were privately held. They blew up in the late 80s, but I only was there for like less than a year, probably six months to a year. And it was a brokerage firm. So what was your main responsibilities there? Well, I was going through their training program and I really hadn't been, I was like every year they took in like 25 or 30 new recruit and I was part of that training platform and I thought I was going to be somebody. Ultimately, I ended up leaving Drexel Burnham and going to, driving out to Chicago and just coming to the floor of the SIBO and I ended up, you know, staying here for 40 years. So you got here and now you're here. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I packed up my car one, I think I was about 23 or 24, and somebody offered me 50 grand to uh, trade with in Chicago. And I didn't even know what it meant, but I thought 50 grand was the equivalent of like 5 million at the time. So I literally packed up my car one weekend and just moved to Chicago and went on the trading floor and never left. Wow. And so you were trading on the trading floor and how did that work out for you? What was that like? I lasted 20 years. Not bad. I left on my own terms. Let's put it that way. I left on my own terms to build a company called Thinkorswim, and which was an idea I had when I was standing in the pit one day. So built a company called Thinkorswim, sold it to TD Ameritrade, then started Tasty Trade. Okay. So Thinkorswim, you started, that was a online trading platform, correct? Yep. And that was probably newer because when you were first trading, they didn't have online trading, right? Yeah. It was in the pits, real people, computers, they didn't do much of that then. 
Yeah, we didn't need no stinking online trading. That <laughs> for, you know, there really wasn't online trading. All the order flow was generated from very little of the order flow was generated online. Let's put it that way. I mean, TD Ameritrade had started online, E-Trade, you know, there was Daytech. There was a couple of firms back in the late 90s in the internet boom. But for the most part, you know, all the order flow that came to the trading floors was not from online brokers. And so when you started Thinkorswim, how new was online trading then? Was that like really one of the first ones to do online trading? We were not one of the first ones to do online stock trading. We were one of the first two to do. There was us and Options Express that built option-centric platforms. So we were one of the first with an option-centric platform. And you said you had the idea when you were on the trading floor. What was it that actually gave you the idea? What was the idea that you had? I was standing in the same spot for 20 years, and I got tired of standing in that same spot. So I decided that, hey, I got to do something with my life. I mean, I was a pretty successful trader, not the most and not. Clearly, if you last 20 years, you're pretty good. And we had a pretty decent sized prop firm. So I loved my life, but I was in my early 40s and I was like, it's time to try something different. Very cool. So starting an online broker requires a lot of work, right? Probably requires a lot of of money. A lot of money too, yeah. A lot of money and a lot of work. And the work part didn't scare us at all. The money part scared us. So myself and my partner, Scott Sheridan at the time, we had been working together since the late 80s. And we took all the money we had made from all of our trading businesses and advisory business, everything else we had, and we rolled it up into Thinkorswim and we took a total shot. We didn't even tell our families. We just did it. We basically just rolled the dice and did it. We raised a little capital, but we pretty much did it all on our own. So I think one of the big challenges would be coming up with the actual software. Did you have to go out and find like some of the best software developers to create your platform? Well, when you know absolutely nothing about software development, which was where I stood in 1999, it was a monster challenge. And if you remember 1999, again, you're a little young, but if you remember 1999, it was the year of the internet boom and there were no software developers here in the US. So we actually, we have a really good story. You should watch some of our documentaries because we've done a number of documentaries on this stuff. And, you know, you can kind of see a lot of our history, but we decided that in order for us to find good developers, we would go to programming competitions. And we ended up through a number of, just through a weird set of coincidences, we ended up with a bunch of kids that were competitive programmers and that were among the top developers in the world, but they were Russian kids. And so we basically chased them around the globe and we built the platform in St. Petersburg, Russia, in a garage with no heat and no hardware at the time. We had to smuggle in Sun servers from Chicago to Russia so that we could build a demo platform so that we could essentially learn how to build software. So we built it from scratch with a bunch of really brilliant kids. And to this day, we started a firm over there with four people. Today, they have 450 and they're probably the best financial fintech software development company in the world. So crazy story. But anyway, that's how we did it. That's pretty cool. So when you started, did you guys take off right away? Was there just a really heavy demand? Because I mean, Thinkorswim is a world famous platform. Did you have any trouble getting it into the hands of people? Or Well, when we came up with the name Thinkorswim, the first thing we were told was, A, you are never going to make it with that name. It's the dumbest name in the world. And B, nobody is going to trade on a platform called Thinkorswim. And C, there is no chance you're going to make it in a business where you're undercapitalized and you guys don't know anything about software development and nobody trades options. We were told all that great stuff, but we didn't listen to anybody because we didn't give a shit. So we just did our own thing. 
Right. And so was there a struggle in the beginning, get the user base connected? Of course. I mean, look at everybody that you start a business. The most difficult thing is you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you can't find customers and, you know, we made deals, we sold our souls to many devils and we acquired customers any way we could. Obviously at the time, you know, we tried a lot of different partnerships and marketing partnerships and we did it all organically. We did it on our own. We didn't have enough money for traditional marketing. Plus we couldn't compete that way. So we actually built up the most, I mean, today Thinkorswim is probably Schwab just bought it for $28 billion. I mean, it's my guess is along with TD Ameritrade, of course, but it's the most actively used platform in the world. And I mean, it's, we built a billion dollar company from nothing. It was a fun run. Yeah, definitely. I want to switch gears here and talk a little bit about some trading stuff. So you started 40 some years ago in trading and what was your most difficult experiences in trading? Well, I mean, what are you talking about? Floor trading or? Or either one, just like uh, as far as struggling periods, not making money, losing trades, things like that. Well, I mean, when I first started, obviously you have all the hurdles of just getting started and just learning the, you know, everything from the slang to what's going on to watching markets to everything else. But as the years progressed, I mean, the most difficult thing was not being an idiot. I mean, the biggest challenge with trading is just learning how to be successful. I mean, it's not rocket science by any stretch, and it's a pretty fair and even game. But a lot of times, you know, you let your ego get in the way, and checking your ego is one of the hardest things to do. So was that something that you had to learn the hard way a couple times? Yeah, about three or 4,000 times. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, remember, most floor traders, it's, there's a lot of strong personalities and alpha males and crazy people, and the success rate's only about 5%. So... Back in those days, I mean, literally the success rate was about 5%. So if you survive a couple of decades, you're obviously, you're one of the survivors, you're good. But in the retail side, now it's a little different. The survival rate's a lot higher, but it's a different game. Right. Introducing the Finance and Markets Newsletter, a unique type of newsletter designed to inspire you to make sound financial decisions. Stories of successful people who overcame tremendous struggles will impress and motivate you to never give up on your financial and personal lives. Sign up today and get the inspiration you need. Go to the link in this episode's description to subscribe. Now, what would you say would be one of the most important things for traders to know to be successful? Well, I mean... I think the most important thing is to recognize that you don't really know anything, you know, with respect to market direction. So the most important thing in my eyes for people is to one, appreciate the fact that markets are random and efficient. And then second, to appreciate that the only edge that you're ever going to have to consistency is to really understand the strategic aspects of trading. So you have to be product agnostic and strategic and strategy agnostic. And if you can get through those two things, which are quite difficult for a lot of retail investors, then, you know, you can be successful. Okay. So could you break that down a little bit? Because I'm not sure I understood when you said strategy agnostic. What did you actually mean by that? So product agnostic means you just, you can't differentiate between stock options, futures, anything else. They're all the same. They all have a highly correlated and they're, they're all have delta equivalencies. In the strategic world, you have to really appreciate that being strategically diversified is a very effective method for preserving capital and improving on your capital usage. And so 
you have to be comfortable with lots of different strategies. Like you can't be purely, you know, long or short, purely directional. You have to have situations where you take advantage of volatility. You have to have situations where you take advantage of different binary events. There's lots of ways to incorporate a strategic approach into your trading. If you think you can just be a buyer or a seller, you won't last at all. So what's your favorite strategy right now to trade? Well, I use a bunch of different strategies, but mostly I'm a premium seller. So the majority of the stuff that I do as a trader is I use options more than anything else. And in the process of using options, and I use options on stocks and obviously options on futures as well, and mostly sell premium. So I like to take advantage of what I think, what I perceive to be situations of high fear and uncertainty or high implied volatility and try to take advantage of that. So as a premium seller, is that type of strategy where the market is going sideways and you... Well, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd want a sideways market, but the world's not perfect. I mean, basically, you're playing the game of, hey, you know what? Rather than me trying to beat the stock, I'm going to make the stock try to beat me. And that's the game we play. Right. And so when you're using that type of strategy, you've got a pretty nice win rate, right? Is that a high probability strategy where you win a high percentage of it, your trade? It's a high probability strategy. It's a math-based high probability strategy with a high probability risk more than you can make. The risk reward is inverse of what you're used to. Most people like low risk, high reward. Right. This is high risk, low reward, but it's a high probability profit. Remember, there's an inverse relationship between probability of profit and risk. If you want a high probability of profit, you take a lot of risk. And that's how the math works out. So I like defined profitability and unlimited risk. It's a little bit different than most of the other people in this industry. Yes. And mathematically, it makes a lot of sense, though. It's just different from what you're used to seeing. You're right. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, Casey, mathematically, everything is theoretically perfect. There is no such thing as in the world of financial products, doesn't matter what product it is, there's so much money chasing so small returns because risk-free money pays zero right now that anything that has, you know, in order to get a return above zero, you need to take risk. So it doesn't really matter. It just matters the level of risk tolerance you have. There's no such thing as this is better than that, but there is what we consider to be like some mechanical advantages. And that's all. I see. So right now you're the CEO of Tasty Trade. And how long have you been doing that? Nine years. Nine years. And did you do that immediately after you sold Thinkorswim? I was under contract to work for a couple of years, TD, but I eventually they let me out and they actually invested in Tasty when we built it. So it was a nice mutual parting of the ways, but because I didn't like working for a big company, I've always been on my own. But we built Tasty and we're about nine and a half years into it. We started in the middle of 2011 and an amazing company. It's probably even more amazing a company than Thinkorswim. I didn't think we could do it again, but we did it. And it's really a special company. It's the same people, by the way. So it's not just me. It's the same management team. It's everybody that started Thinkorswim is over at Tasty. So you guys just basically started it up again, doing the same thing. But you have a lot of advantages because of the experience. We put the band back together. We had a lot of advantages. A, we had the experience. B, we had the money. And C, we had a different level of credibility that we didn't have to earn. You know, when you go out there and you're and you're starting a new business, earning your credibility is really hard. We had already earned our credibility. So now, you know, we just had to prove my goal was I wanted to be one of the few people that has built I want my legacy to be that, you know, we built two amazing companies and 
two decades, and we basically built two billion dollar companies in two decades. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. And I will just give you some good props. I really like your platform. Tasty Thanks. Great. Thanks. It's a cool ass platform with high frequency middleware. So Tastyworks is the first platform with all high frequency, kind of the guts are all high frequency. So the platform is lightning fast, it's stable, and it's really conducive to trading. It's just clean, simple, fast. That's all we wanted this time. So when you say high frequency, what, what do you mean by that? Well, what we did was when we built Tastyworks, we decided to partner with a couple of, well, really one of the best high frequency firms in the world for the middleware piece, the piece that talks between our front end and the piece that talks to the liquidity providers and the exchanges. And so we wanted to cut out all the friction and cut out all the kind of the legacy slowness. And so that's what I mean by high frequency. It's just fast. So that when you route an order, whether it's stocks, options, futures, whatever it is, your order gets routed to a variety of liquidity providers. It doesn't really go to exchanges anymore. So when it goes to liquidity providers, it all happens. People, there's lots of firms that will look at your order in the matter of a few milliseconds, five, six, seven milliseconds. We wanted our retail technology to be less than 20, 25 milliseconds as far as when our orders interacted with the liquidity providers. And that's what we were able to create. And there's no other platform in the world that does that. Wow. So I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts are on about Robinhood and did that impact your business at all? No, it didn't impact our business at all. We started you know, years before Robinhood. Initially, I was skeptical. I've done one major piece on Robinhood and we have a competing Robinhood platform. So we own a brokerage firm called Doe, D-O-U-G-H. And Doe is our Robinhood competitor. It's a minority run business. Victor Jones is the CEO. He used to run trading at TD Ameritrade. And he's the CEO of Doe. And Doe is our free options, free stock, you know, the whole thing. It's a beautiful app. It's all content too. And it's just starting to kind of make its bones, as we would say. But I'll give you my two-second Robinhood breakdown. What they were able to accomplish with what they were able to accomplish is amazing. And I don't care about their technical issues because I know their technology is not that good. I don't care about their shortcomings because I know they have lots of them given the growth that they've had. But they did something that the rest of the industry, including myself, has been trying to do for two decades, which is turn people on and engage them in finance. And it's an incredible challenge. And they are the first company to be able to do it in a way and in a scale that none of us thought was doable. So I take my hat off to Vlad and those guys because they he's the CEO, because they've done something that's incredible. And they've built an amazing value. I mean, they're a true unicorn. Is it my thing? Not at all. See, I like to not only engage people, but I like really low attrition rates. I like people that understand what they're doing. I want to give people freaking cool software and then amazing content. You know, we spend a ridiculous amount of money on the Tasty Trade Network just building content. Like we built a think tank and PhDs and data scientists and just a crazy number of smart people just doing research so that we can back up everything. And no firm does that. I love the content aspect to it. And Robinhood doesn't have the ability to do that. But as far as turning people on to finance, they did a great job. Yeah. And that's probably benefiting you guys as well, I'm sure. Because oh, sure. once a, they get, get a, into Robinhood, they get their feet wet in Robinhood, they get the taste of it, then they want to go somewhere where they can get educated and fed, which is like your Tasty Trade website with all that amazing content you guys have. Nobody can effectively trade Robinhood. You can't trade on that platform. It's too weak. The technology is too slow. The functionality is too weak, all that kind of stuff. As an engagement tool, it's freaking awesome. 
as a trading tool, it's horrible. But you know, you're right. It probably will lead to a lot of people coming over to us. And if it does, that's just awesome. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate having you. I've learned a lot and it's been quite a pleasure having you today. So thank you. Thanks, Casey. It was nice to meet you. And I'm going to check out your other podcasts and things like that. And I'm glad to be able to spend a few minutes with you. And thanks for hearing the story. Thank you. And so for everybody that's listening, make sure you guys go check out Tom's website, tastytrade.com. And got a great brokerage over there and a lot of good, great education as well. Yeah, you can check out the brokerage at tastyworks.com and you can check out the content at tastytrade.com. We got a lot of tasties out there. Tastyworks and tastytrade.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the How to Trade It podcast. Our mission is to help you create security in the markets. If you have a question you want me to ask my guests or a specific question you have for me, please email me at podcasttradingstrategyguides.com. I answer every email I get because this show is about helping you learn how to trade it. So again, please reach me at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Thank you. For tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.